0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Under the Shield Fight in Progress podcast. Each week, we discuss the personal internal fights challenging law enforcement officers today with our candid conversations about mental wellness, relationships, community, stress coaching, training, and much, much more. And now, please join me in welcoming our hosts, Susan Lewis-Simmons and Ace Walker.
1: Okay. All right. Good morning, Nase. Good morning. How are you?
2: I'm doing all right. Happy
1: Labor Day. Thank you. I guess that's
2: appropriate. Yeah. We're not off, though. We're not.
1: We're working. We're always working. What are you talking about? (laughs) Um, Anyway, today's show is going to be a little different than last week. Tell me about it. Last week with Grossman was. a very exciting show, and today's we're going to take a little bit different tone, I think. And this week to, being 9-11 and all? Try to do this as a as a commemorative to 9-11 and everything that went on up there and all the amazing people that, that were involved in that and are still being affected by it. But we have a very dear friend, Lieutenant Rich Mack, that I actually met when I first went up to New York for 9-11, and he has agreed to be on with us. He has quite an interesting story, all the way up to even just recently, a few weeks ago.
2: Oh, I look forward to hearing it.
1: Rich, we're honored to have you on the show, dear.
0: Thank you very much, Susan.
1: So, Ace, are you going to start out?
0: And- yeah.
2: So, in thinking about what we were talking about coming up to this episode and thinking about 9-11, I, I remember when I was in middle school when it happened, right? um talking 19 years ago now gosh
1: that makes us feel old and, doesn't yeah, it, rich? you're welcome
2: <laughs> and yeah, i remember coming out yeah <laughs> you're welcome rich um i remember coming out and watching it on the tv with my dad and then going to school and them talking about it but I, I was definitely in a different headspace than i am now being in law enforcement and since i've been in law enforcement the past 4 years the climate is pretty much the same it's a little crazier right now than it was 4 years ago but it was kind of ramping up from then so i didn't have all that Um, But I wanted to touch on basically your background from 9-11 and what you went through and your story and how you got into being an officer and how you ended up there and what that was like for you. Um, So I was just going to let you run with that if you want to give us an idea of of what you went through around that time.
0: Sure. Um, Well, I was born in New York City. Um, I was kind of raised, I'm like a real city kid from Manhattan, center of it all. Uh, I went to college out in California and then I came back because being a police officer in NYP was kind of what I always wanted to do. Uh, so uh, I came back, I joined the department when I was 23 years old, and I thought it would be a great idea to go to school while working for the police department, which ended up being a horrible idea because. Um, Every time you think that, you know, you have time to study and it's a quiet night, um, turns and kicks you right in the butt. So uh, (laughs) if I had to do over, I would have finished and then became a police officer where I had more time to devote. But uh, I did so. I went on. I got my bachelor's. I got my master's degree. Um, I'm now actually teaching online at John Jay College for about Uh 14 years. I can't years. imagine
1: having you as a professor, Rich. Uh, just, that just
0: uh, I, I keep it entertained. <laughs> I like to keep it entertained, as you can imagine. <laughs> yes. So, uh, and, um, yeah, so I've been teaching John Jay College Criminal Justice, like I said, roughly 14 and a half years. And then in about 2000, uh, might have been 99 or 2000, I joined a group called MAP, which stood for Members Assistance Program. It's a, a nonprofit that is now called Papa. Papa stands for Police Organization Providing Peer Assistance, and we were created because in 1994-1995 there were 24 suicides in a two-year span just in the NYPD, and they had various symposiums as to what to do, and the unions belief at the time was to have a separate independent group outside the police department where officers could seek help confidentiality without fear of reprisal from the department so I've been with Papa over 20 years uh, and um, I started off in one of the tougher parts of Brooklyn as a police officer and then 9-11 happened and because of uh, the organization I was with, Papa, I was allowed to uh, work at Ground Zero during 9/11, and then uh-huh. I got promoted, and I ended up doing security for Ground Zero. So I never really left 9/11, literally until the last brick was turned, as they say, uh, one year later. Oh wow! And uh, during 11, I was uh, everything. You know, I was down there digging. I was down there. Um, helping out you know um there was the landfill there was the morgue Mm -hmm. and then uh zero. of course the landfill was in some ways way worse Mm -hmm. than the uh than ground zero which a lot of people didn't get to see
1: Uh, i I agree with you that that was
0: uh, that was tough go ahead
1: now i was just gonna say the landfill i only went out there with you once And I don't know if you remember, but I said I couldn't go back there. That was, I'll be, I didn't mind being down at ground zero all the time, but the landfill was tough. The smells, the, there was so much stuff there. It was just overwhelming.
2: Well, your, your friend sent us an email recently coming up to this episode saying that, uh, touching on this topic yes, and having been down there and he had some friends that were working in there and the story that he told of all the, the unidentified people and the, parts of people that like that sounds awful i couldn't imagine working through that for as long as they did what an extended traumatic sure. experience
1: rich do you remember the first time you took me to ground zero
0: no i don't refresh my memory
1: well it was interesting because you took us down there jim finn and and the sheriff and um we were, you were showing us around down there and all of a sudden you kind of ran off from us and ran up these steps and some memory came back to you from that day from 9-11 you remembered something and you were standing up on the steps and said something about i'm not sure what it was but it was almost like you had it was something you had forgotten and as you went up those stairs it came back to you and i remember how much Hmm. it impacted the sheriff and i especially um and we'll talk a little bit about james jones because i think we have to include him in this story um uh, especially your part also in his funeral and everything. So I want to make sure we do talk about James.
2: So where were okay. you then, uh, Rich, when, when all that happened? What's nine eleven? So where were you when, when 9 11 was happening? Were, were you
0: one of the okay, responding? So I worked. Yeah, I, I didn't go down the first day cause, um, what happened was, uh, I saw the first plane hit, and then, of course, I uh, said, well, let me get ready for work, because obviously mm-hmm. we're going in, mm-hmm. and uh, I, sure enough, I literally, I think I just hopped in the shower, and oh, no, I received a phone call from my stepfather, and he told me a plane hit the uh, World Trade Center, I was sleeping, because I worked the uh, late shift,
2: mm-hmm. so
0: uh, I was ready to hang up on him, I thought he'd been drinking or something, I didn't know what he was talking <laughs> And uh, then I said, turn on the TV, I turn on the TV, and I saw uh, what I thought was a repeat of the f- plane hitting the towers. It was actually the second plane hitting the second tower. Yeah. And then uh, I knew, uh, let me get dressed and go down. Uh, also, in the middle of 9-11, I didn't, ha- I actually, that day I was supposed to pick up the uh, check for my new car at the World Trade Center, but not till the afternoon. So, I had no new car, uh, no car during the initial two weeks of 9 11. I only had my motorcycle. So, I had to take my motorcycle to work. And then, you know, they didn't want everyone just rushing down to ground zero. You go to work, they tell you where to go. You know, it's a massive organization. And, you know, um, being the good soldier, we knew what to do, which was get dressed, go to work and uh, find out what we're supposed to do. So uh, the first day I got there, uh, we were on standby for a little while. We had sent down a couple of uh, crews and actually uh, a couple of officers were missing from my unit and uh, one of the SWAT units we have, uh, it's called ESU, one of the ESU trucks was attached to my precinct. And one of the officers that I worked with, her husband was in that ESU truck. So, uh, by the time I got to work, the towers had fallen and officers were missing. And, uh, from my precinct, there was a couple officers missing and they actually found them later on in that day. But from the ESU truck next door, several officers uh, passed away, including. Um, a couple right from next door was uh, Joe Vigiano and Mike Curtin, and a few other guys.
1: Wow. 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 That was definitely a day. That none of us, I don't think, I don't know how anyone could ever forget it. That's for sure. Talk to us a little bit about yeah, the editing.
0: We knew the adi- days were going to turn into uh, months, weeks and months.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about what was the atmosphere and the attitude of the public toward law enforcement just before 9 11?
0: It actually wasn't that great. Okay. Uh, there were a couple of incidents that had happened right before, high profile incidents. One of them was the uh, Amadou Diallo incident. And um, so there were actually big protests against the NYPD oh. in 99. <laughs> Two thousand over, you know, um, the Amadou Diallo incident and a few other incidents that led up to that. And so, in that regard, we definitely had some people that were not um, fans of the police, and especially in the media.
1: And at that time, you had about how many with the NYPD?
0: I started in '95, so nine eleven. Happened. I was six years on the police department,
1: and there were roughly thirty-eight thousand NYPD at that time. Or was there more?
0: Yeah, thirty-eight thousand. It was like the height of it.
2: What a police force! Can you thing. imagine? That's any, so many. That's uh, it's unbelievable.
0: me. If you combine the second, third, and fourth largest police departments in the United States, they still wouldn't equal the size of the NYPD. That's wow, crazy.
1: wow. So post nine eleven. Mm-hmm. talk to us about the attitude of the public towards you then
2: yeah because i feel like that's when it shifted i remember because i remember I, I was a what would probably 13 14 years old and i had not paid attention to anything as far as politics and i didn't care about any of that right sure now, even as far as like patriotism i mean i showed up to school every day and i did my pledge of allegiance and we had a flag outside of my house and we were always reverent with the flag. But other than that, there was no uh, outside source of patriotism. And I remember after that, it was almost immediate. I mean, everybody was, we we're proud to be an American. We were proud of our firefighters and our police officers. And I remember that attitude being hugely pervasive in
1: the But public. did y'all feel it rich immediately?
0: Um, you know, uh, <laughs> being stuck in the middle of it, mm-hmm. it, it you know, um, uh, you don't really know what's going on in the outside world for a couple of days. Right. Uh, we I was averaging probably about 18-hour days at least. And so you so go home, you time. just sleep, and then you wake up and go back to work the next day, and do it all over again. I mean, it was literally, for the first couple of weeks, it was like uh, average about 17-and-a-half-hour days. And, you know, it was it was rough work. You're digging around and in, in, in rubble, and it's a complete mess. Sure. So, um, y- you know, um, we definitely started to see it. They even had a cheering section at one point on the West side highway. And they were like, you know, we love the police and the fire. And I remember a friend of mine saying, where were you two weeks ago?
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: and uh, it definitely, um, you know, you start to say, yeah, what were you two weeks ago? But hey, people are happy with the police. So, you know, it's good to have a cheering squad.
2: Yeah. Take what you can get. Um, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we didn't get in this for the fame or anything, but, uh, right. it's definitely, it was nice, uh, break from being hated a few weeks earlier to people liking the police again. And I always say the, um, 9 11 was one of the worst days in american history but it was also one of the best days in american history because it brought us all together and heroes came from all over the, the world yes
2: yeah I, I haven't in my own small amount of life on this planet i've never felt as much unity as from then in the in the years shortly following um as far as a society feeling like we're all just one family trying to make something right. That was that was huge then. Um, we've kind of fallen away from that now. And that's something that we're going to lead into. Um, before I ask you about those questions, I want to touch on something. Today's our sponsor. Um, so I was able to go over to a, a gym here in the Valley in Phoenix. Um, they're actually in Mesa. It's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu gym called Universal Fitness. Uh, they were polite enough to uh to sponsor the show and uh we're really grateful for them they're our first sponsor that we've had on uh the owner danger uh he had me in um and they beat me up for about an hour and a half taught me good uh got we me we will show pictures eventually of yeah, ace I'll, after- I'll post them up on the facebook of me being just absolutely wiped out at the end um and i like to think i'm in good shape too and they <laughs> yeah,
1: they texted me and told me he was drt yeah, dead man, right there.
2: <laughs> they ruined me but it was it was a ton of fun the instructor, Joe, um, he's actually from, uh, NYPD like Rich is today. Uh, he was there for nine 11, great instructor, really good group of people. Um, they give law enforcement discounts. So if you guys are in the Valley, especially in Mesa, um, go ahead and reach out to them. I'll be putting up the, the contact info for them on Facebook and on the YouTube video. But if you're looking for them right now, it's going to be ufitmma.com, fit MMA.com. And, uh, Go email Danger and see if you can go check out a class and see how you like it. It was a lot of fun. And we're
1: honored to have him as a corporate sponsor.
2: Yeah, he was—he's a good guy. All right, so let's get back to um, the question. What we were just talking about, Rich, is how that that perception of of police and fire changed, and how communities in the country really came together behind you guys and behind our military and behind everything else. Um, and not that there weren't naysayers, but really the the overarching. Um, feeling and emotion towards first responders was pretty positive, right? There was a lot of hero talk and stuff like that. Yes. um, Since then, we've kind of moved away. Um, So let's moving, moving towards today and how things are now. Uh, Just recently, you were involved in uh, some of the riots in New York, and I I believe you're on duty. Uh, Give us, give us a background on that story there.
0: Yeah, sure. Sure. I can't talk about the specifics of my case, because Mm -hmm. there is a pending uh, investigation. Mm -hmm. But I certainly can talk about the generalities of what's been going on, what happened. Um, Obviously, uh, since, you know, when when the coronavirus thing first happened, I could tell people over, at first, people were very good. And in fact, there was a big um, honeymoon period where they were talking about, you know, the first responders, they're back in good graces. Um, you know, uh, do you, I don't know if you remember, but people were like posting signs and it was a very positive time for the, for the first responders during the coronavirus. I think mm-hmm. people appreciated what was going on. Mm-hmm. I knew as the coronavirus <laughs> extended that this was, tide was gonna turn. Yes. And you can see people are getting angrier quicker. And it's, it's very difficult to take your frustrations out on uh, a non-existent, I mean, not non-existent, but uh, not a human person. You know, you can't take your anger out on a virus. Right. So, uh, you know, we were dealing with uh, thousands of people that were dying in New York and the center point was actually in Queens where I was working mm-hmm. and it was uh devastating for the community in fact we lost uh eight I think about eight detectives and about over 20 civilians to the coronavirus wow and uh the first detective that passed away uh Cedric Dixon I worked with and he was an absolute gentleman I didn't know he had a severe uh Pre existing conditions as I had realized, and when they told me he was passed devastating. I think he was the first to, to pass away from the coronavirus in the United States. And um, it was very difficult, but we had to march on because that's what the police do. Mm-hmm. So then, fast forward, you know, one month, two months later, you can see people were getting angry. And no one really had a place to direct the anger. So I knew it was a matter of time before they directed it at the police.
2: <laughs> because Naturally.
0: Uh, we are the fingers of the government, the hands mm-hmm. of the government. So, yes. you know, um, we were gonna get the brunt of it. And we mm-hmm. certainly did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was there from the second day of the riots on during the pandemic. I still didn't realize how it was going to get worse, (laughs) but uh, it got pretty bad. That second day was um, was crazy, the full rioting, and then it continued on for several days afterwards. And there were people that lit stores on fire, cars, you know, uh, you know, streets were on fire, you know, a university place at one point looked like a war zone. Wow. Uh, one of the days. And then the looting in uh, Manhattan was, uh, you know, at one point, uh, literally, we were out of police officers to make arrests. There was just there wow. was no officers left.
2: Wow. Because, With 40,000 uh, officers, you ran out of people.
0: Exactly. Well, That's crazy. You got to understand number one, is most of it happened uh, at night. Mm-hmm. And um, we weren't. Prepared to say, "Hey, there's going to be a bunch, a uh, couple of thousand yeah, right. looters are going to come in." So you can only have so many officers working at a time, and unless, of course, we're prepared for it, I mean, the most we usually have is about at one time working is about two thousand, and that's usually around a couple of thousand. That's that's on New Year's Eve. Jeez. So, you know. Uh, I think when the looting started, it was like a Sunday night or a Monday night. Um, It just uh, we weren't ready for it, and I I don't know even know how you could have been ready for it. But it was uh, we were you know we were grossly undermanned, understaffed, even the amount of people we have, and then of course. As the day, a day or two later, once they started to get a little bit more organized and get more officers in, we were able to uh, get it under control. Uh, I'd say after about the second day of looting, they finally uh, stopped the bridges and tunnels. You couldn't go into the city unless you were working there. So,
1: and I know you and I talked a couple of times, Rich, during all of this, Mm -hmm. and you worked how many days straight without a day off and what how long were you working 10 12 18 hours
0: Uh, the first couple of days it was like i don't know i think the one day it was like 20 hours and another day it was like 18 hours um i think the first month i had a total of uh maybe like three or four days off. Wow. One was like by request because it was just, you know, I was like, I, I need a, I need a date just to sleep. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, did that... That... Uh, go ahead.
2: Did that whole attitude of the public basically pushing against the police and being angry at the... Because it, it kind of shifted from being angry about the virus and other things going on to really being kind of mad at the police and with other incidents going on around the country did did you see that affect the officers and or yourself in, in like them wanting to do their job and i'm, I'm going to get this from you too susan because i know you have a different perspective as far as working with officers who suffer mm-hmm. with this kind of stuff um which well, i guess it's all of us but did you notice that kind of stopping them from doing their job or anything like that or wanting them to like not come into work and not do the job that we all kind of said we would do
0: well listen um The first day of the riots, coincidentally, because usually what happens is we have so many officers in the police department that usually the first, the last Friday of the month is when we have the most amount of officers retire normally. (sighs) So the first Friday of the month happened to be the first day of the riots, of course. And that so that particular day, there was a large amount, but it had nothing to do with the riots. It was right. just because it was certain anniversaries. Uh, we have to do 20 years and out and now the new officers have to do 22 and a half years before they can retire. But uh, it just so happened the first day was that last Friday. So we had a couple of people retiring. But <laughs> since then, there's <laughs> been a much larger amount of people retiring than a much larger, and especially, um, you know, a lot of people, uh, and they're kind of very frustrated. A lot of officers want to feel like they really can't do the jobs the way they've been able to do in the past, so they're leaving.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, on your end, Susan, dealing with officers who actually are able to find a resource in you or anywhere else mm-hmm. similar to you. What are you seeing on that end, as far as how officers are dealing with this or the the struggles that they're having with this new type of idea on policing and the way that they're criticized so heavily now?
1: Um, I can tell you that our crisis line, the 855 number, uh, the call volume went up tremendously from all over the country, not just. And we were getting some out of Portland and Seattle and Minneapolis and, of course, out of New York also. lot of frustration over the fact that most of them that I talked to anyway wanted to continue to do this job but really feared for themselves and their families because then there started to be the the issue of families even being targeted Mm -hmm. and having lived in that situation before that's that's a difficult one and that's something I wanted to ask Rich about too is you know Rich I know the night that that you were injured and I want you to, if you can, talk a little bit about the impact on your family, especially your son, uh, because it was it was pretty tough for him, wasn't it, the night you came home after being injured?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so we've been dealing with the riots over, I guess, a month. I kind of lost track of times. 2020 has definitely not been a good year. <laughs> um, uh, when I was... Uh, um, when I got the, the night I was working and I can definitely talk about generalities there was protests and there were a certain group of people that were there to violently attack the protesters and um, they had very, they were very well organized they had weapons they had a plan they had walkie-talkies they had um, homemade armor and it was they were not there to disrupt the protest. they were there to uh physically cause injuries hmm. um and and to disrupt the protest as well and to uh, attack the police and they did um so uh when i was injured i uh um had to i was on the upper level of the walkway excuse me the brooklyn bridge So I actually had to, uh, I couldn't see um, because I had a fractured eye socket and uh, was attacked by a couple of people. And so I had to physically be walked off the bridge. And while I was being walked off the bridge, even though I couldn't see, I could hear a lot of cameras going and i actually had to walk off to the city hall protesters who are at the bottom of the brooklyn bridge so i could hear them and i knew the media was there and i couldn't see so i had to be brought into an ambulance which they tried to block block the ambulance step on it <laughs> they were screaming and yelling at me and uh but i'm used to that so that's nothing new for me um <laughs> And then uh, as soon as I got to the hospital, I made a phone call to my spouse to let her know I was going to be okay and to call my mother because I was concerned uh, she might see me on uh, television. And uh, within an hour of the incident, we were getting, I was getting notified by people who called me on TV, not in a good way. Yeah. Um, so of course my concern was my son and I, I tried to shield him from as much of it as possible. But I even spoke to other police officers who their children know me or their children they're just children of police officers and they were extremely upset by the images of my injuries or other officers who were injured. So it becomes a big concern because This is affecting um, kind of the whole community. Yes.
1: And I can tell you my son, who obviously knows you because you've known him, gosh, since he was probably, he's well, he's just a little older than Ace, I guess. Um, But here this 30-year-old former Marine is. He was not happy about those pictures he saw of you. He was very upset and very disturbed and very concerned, obviously, as was I.
2: Yeah, it's definitely a new thing for me having grown up in the the age that i did where we're act like there's there's a portion of the public that actively not only dislike the police because i feel like that's always been there it just grows or shrinks with size over the years but where they're actually seeking out to harm officers like on a regular basis i see stories every day Mm -hmm. and that like for me and i I assume that we're all a little different in law enforcement going into it i thought we were all pretty much the same but i realized we're all we're all different animals we're still human um, but I see a lot of officers that I work with and uh, stories of officers that I don't work with and we're all handling it a little differently and some of us want to try and ignore it I think that's probably my my avenue where it's just like eh, I just got to keep doing what I do and do my job and just Either and be prepared for the encounter if it happens, but otherwise just keep doing what I'm doing.
1: Well, I think families, and this is this is an area, too, that when we're not educating families about this lifestyle, and your wife is, is somewhat of an exception to the mm-hmm. rules. She's not one who sits around and worries and no. frets and that kind of stuff. Um, but I think there are a lot of families out there that have absolutely no real understanding about this lifestyle, and I think they were being forced into a reality that nobody had prepared them for, and this is all over the country. And I think that is something that we have got to do a better job of, and we've got to start to train them to understand what their part in this lifestyle is, what it can mean, what it can look like. But they also have to have confidence that the training that you guys get equips you to go out here to the best of your ability and be able to do this job yeah. even in these difficult times rich what's your status right now
0: i'm still out injured at this time okay. uh i may need a second surgery will uh i have to wait because they don't they reevaluate usually about three months after the initial surgery to determine whether or not they need a second surgery so my status is I'm out, injured still at this time.
1: And I know some of our our followers here on the podcast probably saw you on Fox and Friends and saw you on national news. Um, what about your eyesight?
0: Uh, it's my eyesight is mostly uh, back at this point. It's still slightly Good. blurry. Like I close my eye and I look out of my left eye, it's still blurry a little bit, but. Um, it's uh, mostly back.
1: And the prognosis is good, though, overall?
0: The prognosis is uh, hopefully 100% or close to it. Okay, um, good. It was, uh, I had a fractured orbital bone, and my eyeball was uh, sinking into the orbital bone, if I don't want to get too detailed. Wow. So
2: so I know you can't get into the details. Well. There's just so many questions there. That's so unfortunate that that kind of thing happens and that these these situations that keep, that we keep running into where officers are getting injured, um, I, I, I want a bigger forum. So at some point when, you, when you're when you able to discuss things and talk about the case or whatever, uh, if that ever happens, um, we'd love to have you back on and talk about that particular issue because I, I feel like a lot of officers would like to know how you dealt with um all those, all those issues, and the investigation, and all the, all those problems, because that's that's really hard on an officer to go through all that stuff. And I, I know you can't talk about can it. Can you?
1: Can you at least tell us, Rich? I don't know um, if you can't even say if the person was taken into custody and is still in custody. Do you even know?
0: Yes, uh, it was, uh, there were several suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, uh, one was released without bail. One was bailed out, and the one of the issues was is because of the Coronavirus, there mm. was um, no grand jury. So grand jury is started up a few weeks ago. But of course, there's a backlog. So True. I kind of have to wait my term before. So I haven't even spoken to a grand jury yet. If
1: they, Do you even know what the charges they, uh, were?
0: They were charged with assaulting the police officer second degree. Okay. Okay.
1: Um,
0: as far as I know, Um And there were several people involved.
1: And one of the things that we've been hearing nationally is how so many of these people who came in and were causing all the issues and the problems actually were not even from New York City or from the area wherever they were looting and rioting and everything. Do you know if the people that were involved in your event, were they even local people or were they shipped in from somewhere else?
0: I was informed they were from the city. Okay. uh, From the Bronx. Wow. Wow. So uh, and and, you know uh, we during the a lot of the riots I've asked people you know where they're from just on a cursory curiosity purpose Mm -hmm. most usually are from the city area or they um, are transplants to the city area they're not most of the people that I dealt with were not from uh, far off places but I did have several I mean you're talking thousands. Of arrested. My my unit specifically dealt with uh, mass arrests. So, uh,
2: okay.
1: Have you, you been know, into it, the city recently? Uh, what's that? Have you been into the city recently?
0: Other than uh, for doctor appointments, no.
1: I just wondered: are the streets as as empty as they have been portraying them to be? Because I can't imagine. No,
0: traffic, traffic's definitely picked up a lot. Okay. Uh, I um you know, going for doctor appointments, rush hour is, is back. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, one one of the issues is a lot of less people are taking public transportation. So driving wise has made that um, come back a little bit worse. Yeah, no doubt. Because people are obviously afraid to do public transportation.
1: Well, one of the things that I, that I want to touch on is I started in the beginning talking about Sheriff James Jones, who was one of the team members that I took up. Um, I took five different teams up over I don't even know how many months now, but we were only allowed to stay Ace a week at a time. Okay. And I went all five weeks that I had teams up there and so rich and i got to be pretty good friends pretty close there and but sheriff james jones was the sheriff of shelby county alabama uh, which is actually the largest county i believe in alabama and you and the sheriff kind of struck up a friendship didn't you rich
0: yes we did i don't know why we couldn't be any different you know uh (laughs) james jones of a good old boy from uh shelby county alabama and uh (laughs) me rich mack a city kid from the city sheriff (laughs) was known for his
1: cowboy hat and his cowboy boots oh
0: man wish (laughs) i could pull him off i I remember taking him ground zero i remember taking him to the staten island landfill Mm -hmm. and this big guy with his you know cowboy boots and cowboy hat walking around and um It really did help uh, establish PAPA because even though we're an outside organization that helps officers, there's still some, uh, you know, concern. How are we affiliated with the department, which Mm -hmm. we're affiliated with them, but we're not part of the department. We're a separate outside nonprofit organization composed of NYPD officers who volunteer their time. And to have someone like Sheriff James Jones get up there at the Staten Island landfill and just say, Hey guys, I'm Sheriff Jones from Shelby County, Alabama. And what you guys doing here is just amazing. And it was, if you need any help, we're here along with Papa, just call the hotline if you need help. And that's really what it was about.
1: Yes. We met some amazing people from all over the country, but, you know, I've always said one of the greatest honors of my life was to have, it was most difficult, but greatest honors was to spend time in New York with the amazing people at NYPD, and we worked some with some of them at FDNY also. Um, but as part of this tribute, uh, I do have to share the sad news that Sheriff Jones actually died from exposure. Oh, oh wow. It was a uh, unusual lung cancer. Isn't that correct,
0: Rich? Yes, that's correct. He died uh, maybe five, six years afterwards.
1: Mm-hmm. And Rich came down for his funeral and actually brought one of the, he was NYPD bagpipers, right?
0: Yes. The sheriff's wife, uh, Debbie Jones, had asked for a bagpiper at his uh, funeral. I told her I didn't know if I could make it happen. <laughs> And then after I hung up the phone, I did everything I could to make it happen.
1: If um, anybody could, uh, it was going to be rich. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, yeah. there,
2: there were a lot of these um, exposure yes. deaths after 9-11, yes. right? Um, I imagine, Rich, that you had plenty of people that you knew uh, probably on a personal level that had this kind of thing either going on in their life or they actually did pass away. I would <laughs> imagine that this, that's the case, Right.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, you know, uh, listen, a lot of people say you should have known the air was bad. <laughs> I didn't know anyone in construction, I didn't know the history of the World Trade Center, how it was built. I I wasn't into uh, understanding uh, materials and toxic substance. But um, obviously, there were a lot of people who were aware of that sort of thing. As we come to find out afterwards, one tower was uh, 80 floors was built with asbestos, second tower, uh, like eight floors were built with asbestos because they outlawed asbestos in the middle of building the second tower. right when they started building the second tower. So plus you have all those other chemicals, uh, computer wires, wiring, electronics, mm-hmm. we human human dust. We breathed it all mm-hmm. in, unfortunately. And, um, yeah. you know, um. The first week, we had paper uh, masks, which uh, were ab- were absolutely useless against yes. uh, asbestos and yeah. poisons in the air. And we didn't know any better. And um, the government should have known better. Mm-hmm. And uh, unfortunately, um, we have now lost uh, three times the amount of people from 9-11 cancer as we did during 9-11 and we're continuing to lose them constantly. Yes. Uh, my first partner, Crazy. he was there, Dave Mahmood. He was there the first, uh, when, the, when the towers came down, uh, he got nose cancer uh, and then eventually face cancer and he passed away. And uh, it continues, uh, we lost uh, two sergeants from my unit that I'm currently in. One passed away in uh, December, Scott, hmm. Scotty Johnson, he had uh, some type of rare cancer on his finger, his thumb. Wow. And within two years, he had passed away. Oh, and another guy, Dave Yu, who had retired, he was an army guy. He moved down to Texas. And um, Dave uh, went for his... We do annual 9-11 checkups that it took the government some time to give us a, uh, a permanent... health uh, organization Mm -hmm. for responders. And he went for his annual checkup. They found lung cancer. They gave him uh, less than six months to live. And I think he lived uh, a year and a half past that. Wow. And uh, unfortunately, while I was in the hospital, he had passed away. And I was the first person officially in the police department to find out about this. Oh, wow. So while I was actually post-surgery, I started making uh, notifications that he had passed. Uh, My commanding officer said, we'll take care of it. Just enough. You know, Mm. we'll take, we'll, we'll." and so if you've seen the speech that I gave when I left the hospital, I'd only found out hours earlier that he passed away.
1: I know that you provided our producer with some pictures and stuff where there's, were there pictures that you wanted to share with us and talk about?
0: Uh, sure. Uh, the first picture that you could probably show is a picture of me at ground zero. And uh, you could just put it up on the screen. There you go. And uh, I had no idea. I actually, that that was the first week where they actually gave us uh, masks to wear. Mm-hmm. Uh and, um, you know, uh, we just, wore this whenever we could, but didn't realize the severity of what was going on in the air. And a lot of guys have passed away, like I said, from uh, 9-11 related illness. You know? and, and I grew up down there. My mother worked for AT&T, the original at which is actually directly across the street, a block away from the Trade Center. So So, uh, probably about uh, 30 years old.
2: So I want to kind of tie this into now with obviously this 9-11 was significantly, I would say from at least my perspective, significantly worse than what we're going through um, now, although it is madness now. Um, It's
1: a different kind of
2: stress. I feel like it was so concentrated for 9-11 that there's a lot of lessons that we could learn. And I feel like, Something that we're learning over time, also right then, during, and then the aftermath of 9-11 is a lot of the chaos that builds up in officers' lives and not just with the job, because the job is hard enough and the things that we deal with or the things that we see, um, they can take a toll on people, right? And we're all different and we all handle it differently. But I feel like some of the things that you guys dealt with with 9-11 and so many people that you knew personally um, that were close to you and then people that they knew close to them passing away and dealing with all this and building up this, this stress and these, these issues over time. Um, I feel like this touches on something that you work with, Susan, which is this, uh, this idea of this garbage can with officers wanting... They have stuff building up in their life and issues that they're having to deal with over and over again. Um, can you touch on that a little bit? Like, What are some lessons that we've learned from then that we can try and help implement now to help officers be healthy and have to deal with these things?
1: Yeah, it's actually the the Simmons theory of the psychological garbage can. we're going to go into great detail about it, explaining what it looks like, what the symptoms are, the early warning signs, and all of that. And it, we tie it into post-traumatic stress as an injury rather than a disorder. And, you know, one of the things that I think we have probably seen maybe even from what's happening now rich what are the suicide rates looking like because i think that's a, a big indicator of the psychological garbage cans being full people are sleep deprived they're very tired have your suicide numbers gone up in new york
0: um they've actually gone uh gone down from last year last year was one of our worst years since mm-hmm. uh Papa began back in 94 95 it was a real bad year and in fact. Uh, one officer from my unit, who I knew, uh, Robert Eshveria, he uh, committed suicide. He was in my unit, and he knew I was part of uh, a outside crisis, um, you know, uh, helpline. Mm-hmm. But sometimes reaching out for help is the hardest thing to do. It is. And uh, you know, if I could just say, reaching out for help isn't a sign of weakness; it's a sign of strength. Absolutely. And you can get better, and you will get better. You just have to make that call, whether it's under the shield or any of the other um, yeah, police Yeah, I,
2: I definitely i have I've experienced that, that with officers that I work with and um, friends that I have in trying to, uh, in, in recognizing that they're going through similar things that I've gone through and things that I was having trouble fixing myself, um, trying to help them to, get over to Susan or to really anyone. I don't, I don't care who you're reaching out to as long sure as they're helpful. Cap. Right. That's if it's healthy for you and your family, then it's good. I don't care what name is on it, you know? Um, and that is, that is definitely the hardest thing for them to do. I feel like once they do that, um, they, they're more comfortable with it. Cause I think that then they realize that it's not exactly a sign of weakness. You know what I mean? And I totally agree with you that that helps you be stronger and better. And it, we all, we all train, we all work hard. It, How can you expect to show up to work and be the best version of yourself to do the most good and to fight the best fight if you're not healthy, physically or emotionally? Um, So I I couldn't agree more that that is a sign of strength in wanting to keep yourself healthy and strong.
1: And we need more people like Rich and like yourself, Ace, stepping up and saying, "I, I, I don't have a problem getting help. I'll ask for it. It's okay. The help is there. And that's what PAPA is all about. It's obviously what Under the Shield is all about. And one thing I would like to make a plug for Rich also is is that Rich is going to be, as soon as he's recovered, going to be teaching with me. Uh, We're going to be teaching the supervisor class called Why Good Cops Make Bad Decisions. I like it. And it is talking about the garbage can and that also. Uh, Rich and I have some interesting, uh, what do we want to call them, Rich, props that we're going to be bringing with us?
0: (laughs) Oh, yes. And we'll, 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 uh, we'll leave it at that. Got a carrot topper that.
1: Yes, and, and, and <laughs> um, I have four more to add to what you have. So we're gonna be in good shape for our first training as soon as you have fully recovered and can get on a plane and and fly out. And hopefully departments will reach out to us if you're interested in this training. It's teaching supervisors what to look for, early warning signs and the people that they are leading and supervising so that we don't have people run off in the ditch. Let's let's that's get awesome. them the help they need, and let's start looking for the early signs.
2: Yeah, I feel like that's something that that honestly could have helped me because mm-hmm. I, I was I was really vocal. I honestly, when it came to conflict in the politics of a department, I was super immature. I just kind of picked every battle. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And if I would have had. Um, Maybe not if I would have had that leadership. But if, if we would have all had that kind of training, yes. that specialized training, um, we could have helped each other better, and I wouldn't have been such an adversary to start with. You know what I mean? I could sure. have, I could have had some good guidance, and they could have had that training behind them to help guide me, and I maybe I would have listened. Maybe not.
1: And Rich, know. Rich is a lieutenant. Is there's nobody better to help teach that class than
2: Rich? Yeah, yeah no doubt. Uh, Rich, thank you so much for coming on. We're so grateful to have you, and uh, we hope that you recover completely. Um, anybody who's out there who uh, wants to reach out to Papa, depending on which, I don't know if that's a uh, regional dependent, I'm going to get all the contact info for that. Um, and for under the shield, yeah, I'll sure, be putting yeah. that up on our Facebook page. And I'll, I'll be trying to post that on every forum that we have um, so that people have resources to get out and talk to people. Cause that's the most important thing, being yes. able to talk to somebody.
1: Rich, any final thoughts you want to throw in here as we wrap this up?
0: Yeah, sure. So Papa basically is uh, for active and retired nypd only but uh we don't hang up on it but we try to get them the right referral whether it's under the shield some others out there that have really uh established themselves uh i'd like to this is the first step in us trying to um get uh mental health more on the forefront uh, you, you want to take care of your police officers mm-hmm. um great quote by uh richard branson is uh, the empl- customers don't come first, the employees come first. You take yes. care of your employees, you'll yes. take care of the customers. Exactly. And uh, that's really what all these organizations are about. And um, the, the worst part of 9-11 uh, was knocked over by the great police officers that came from other type of groups like Under the Shield, and states from Alabama to Massachusetts, to Hawaii, to Canada. It's not a state, but a country. Um, and uh, it's it's a combined effort. and It's a battle that, unfortunately, I think is, is going to go long-term uh, until we can really get a hold of it. And, uh, you know, thank God for Under the Shield and you guys helping to uh, bring this... Uh, information to the front and we got to just keep fighting the good fight.
1: Well, we're honored to have you as part of Under the Shield. You're certainly part of our family. And as as difficult as 9-11 was, I think the greatest honor, and I speak for all of the teams that I brought to New York, was to have the opportunity to become family with people like Rich Mack and Rich Quinlan and Steve Browning and Bill Genet and so many others that we met and went through this event with. And it was just a huge honor for us. And, you know, I love you, and you're part of my not just the Under the Shield family, but my family, Marshall, certainly looks up to you as someone he would reach out to if he ever needed any help. I'm not sure what that would look like exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's just say I'm not going to turned you loose with my daughter. I don't know that I'm going to turn you loose with my Marine in New York City anytime soon. <laughs> but. Uh, But, Rich, we do thank you for your time today and everything that you're doing. Continue to get well. God bless you and your family and everybody up there with the NYPD and FDNY. You're always in our prayers.
0: Thank you. And hopefully, um, you know, we get past all this uh, coronavirus and rioting nonsense and get back to uh, one nation.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Rich.
2: Thanks, Rich. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in and being part of the conversation. If you have questions, uh, we're looking. We want those comments. We want people to join in the conversation and to um, invite people on our show and to have the things that you care about be talked about here. Um, Oh, (laughs) Susan brought her... (laughs) My garbage can. Her psychological garbage can. Um, Next week, that's what we're going to be talking about. If you guys um, have any experience with this or if you have questions, if you have things that... uh, particular instances that you want to talk about or you want us to bring up with Susan, um, I would be more than happy to do that and have that conversation. So send stuff out to me. I'll have uh, my email address in the info and I'll be uh, getting everything out there so that we can get next week prepared for you. And hopefully it's something that you tune in for. Really grateful to have all of you and we appreciate the support. Thanks guys.
1: Have a safe and happy Labor Day. Thank you.